0: Here a podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research.
1: Good morning, everyone. My name is Susanna Oberalter. I am the C convener for the BRR Teacher Education and Development C and I'm delighted today to welcome Alana Gay. She is a head teacher and also one of the founding trustees of BANIG.
0: Hey, hello, everyone. My name is Alana Gay. I am the head teacher of Vita Pax Preparatory School, which is a small independent school in North London. I also four years ago, came on board and co-founded a group called BAME Ed, which looks at how we can have diversity in education, so that we have an education sector that is more reflective of our society in general. Um, Before that, I suppose... It's a long journey I've been on in education where I, when I came to UK, went into secondary provision and teaching, teacher of science, grew through the ranks, second in science, head of science, became an assistant head teacher, then made a transition from secondary into primary level teaching, bringing me into the independent sector. So from mainstream to independent sector, where I've now been for two years. So I'm looking forward to this conversation because I think I've got a perspective that goes from primary, secondary, mainstream, independent, and there's a lot for us to unpick in that.
1: Absolutely, so you've experienced a full range and um also having a bit of an international perspective as well, which is great. And today we're really hoping to focus on, obviously, all the considerations we need to make post-lockdown and also um, with mm-hmm. COVID-19 in mind. What were the challenges for BAME educators and what, what did they have to face during lockdown? And I know that you've worked very closely with the BAME team, producing guidance also for schools to consider how they support their staff. So I was wondering if you could give us a bit more of a clearer sense of what happened.
0: So for a BAME educator, I think lockdown has a bit of a different flavour. When we examined the news media and what information we were getting from the media in the early stages, it came across that far more BAME colleagues in the NHS were dying from COVID than their white colleagues. And that came about for two reasons. One, because they're more likely to be in a forward-facing role where they're interacting quite often with patients. And secondly, because of the longer hours, the level of interaction, and again, even attending work, even if you're feeling slightly ill. So all of those behaviours as well fed into parts of that. We're still waiting for the official documents, however, to give us the review of those. But those seems to be the initial sort of conclusions. And when you put that on par with what happens in education, it's similar you're more likely to have BAME colleagues who are in forward-facing roles with students. So you will have your BAME colleagues being teachers, uh, they dominate teaching, and in teaching assistants, cleaning roles, lunch ladies, etc. cetera. They're more likely to be in those roles. They're more likely to be forward-facing and they're more likely to be the ones who believe that they need to be at work every day. So hardly likely to take time off for any reason. So therefore they run themselves through. Now, for those reasons, BAME colleagues, when they were coming through, felt that they were more likely to be in a position where they were at risk, but there was no acknowledgement in the public that they were at risk, and there was no real acknowledgement of what they should be doing or whether they should be taking extra precaution. And we consider as well, um, within BAME communities, the living conditions. So you're more likely to be living with an extended family or have an extended family around you that you're interacting with. So the level of risk being passed on to grandparents, to aunties, et cetera, was a lot higher. So all those concerns were there, but it just seemed like no one was paying attention to those concerns and what should be done next. And that's where we had Baymed sort of stepped in. And the beauty of it was it was just a conversation that evolved into an action. And that's what I really love about working with my Baymed colleagues. So we had a conversation about, look, these are the things that people are telling us. What is being done? And we looked around and there wasn't much being done and said, okay, what can we do and where can we find this information so that we're able to do something substantive? So we started by looking at what the NHS had put forward for their BAME staff and looking at some of the guidance that they gave and what that guidance hinged on. And it hinged on mostly your living conditions and your pre-existing medical conditions. So we hinged the bame risk assessment on the same. So, what are your pre existing conditions? What's the level of risk as assessed by the NHS? And what are your living conditions? And we use that as an introduction for a conversation with your senior leadership team so that they would have that understanding. Risk assessment only works as a conversation because unless your senior leadership team is able to have a look at the document, acknowledge all of these fears, and see what can be done to work around them, whether it's in small things like the provision of PPE, allow some teachers to wear masks. Allow some teachers to use gloves when marking books. Or it can be from the larger things. Look at where you can have some members of staff doing more of your remote learning or doing more of your background work as opposed to doing any of the forward-facing work. Look at how you can rearrange classrooms so that they're able to be in classroom settings where they feel much safer, where it's better ventilated, looking at all those small things. Because whatever you do in that risk assessment and the depth of risk assessment to help your BAM colleagues is also going to do really well in any risk assessment for white colleagues and that's where you're making your entire school safe and it gives you some different perspective to think about because then you can start thinking about well what are my students when they interact with us in school what are they going home to what are their parents fears maybe it's giving you some insight into what they're doing there so we put together the document and then just sort of shared it and said look we've looked at it from this perspective have a look see what you want to do it had great uptake we had some multi-academy trusts etc who took it on board shared it with some of their staff who wanted to use it we have some people who used it directly and took it to their head teachers and said can we talk through this but we've also had some backlash as well where some people have had it done to them and not done with them which we then had to have a further conversation with those people about what what steps do you take next? Because it's no good having a risk assessment done for you when you don't have that involvement. The person isn't really finding out about you. They're simply going with whatever they believe is happening elsewhere.
1: Of course, yes. And do you think, Alana, there was also scope for governors to reflect on this? Because I I myself am a governor and I, I did forward the document to my school We found it incredibly useful in in relation to our conversations. But I was wondering what the wider picture looked like for you as well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, governors have a hard role as it is because they're asked to come in and be trustees and overseers of all the actions undertaken by schools and won't necessarily have expertise. So having a document that you can use that has a discursive element to it allows them to then interrogate whether or not the implementation of risk assessment across the school is robust, whether there is significant individual consideration alongside the community and wider group consideration of all staff. So governors found it useful as part of that document to help them challenge Mm. all those who are around them and asking the questions, being able to focus those questions. How are you protecting your staff? How are you protecting your students? How are you protecting our community?
1: Absolutely. I love the fact that it's holistic. And, and if you're looking after your BAME colleagues, the rest of the school will flourish as well and do well. What considerations do you think teachers and educators need to make in relation to BAME, BAME colleagues and also even children? Because, of course, they would have had different experiences um, because they are from multigenerational families and their situations are different.
0: The main consideration is probably going to be along the lines of impact on family. If we think about statistically within the UK, if you are BAME, you're more likely as to be living multi-generation Lally, or have really close relationships with grandparents, parents, all of those different levels where they're dependent on each other. You're more likely to have some of the underlying health issues. You're also more likely to be in a job that makes high demand on you obviously there'll be people at either ends of the spectrum where they're either working from home or they're on furlough and therefore they don't have as much pressure, I suppose making an assumption, but they don't have as much pressure in order to be working from home as others. Mm -hmm. So within any of those contexts, I would say that for your BAME colleagues, you need to consider they would have been worried about their health, they would have been worried about their family's health and their family's welfare. They will be worried about finance and how that's going to be balanced within their families itself. Mm -hmm. And even more, they'd be worried about the risk of death and the longer lasting impact on education for their students and for their own children. And that's something that is substantive within the BAME community because we know that opportunities are not equitably spread across the UK. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the recovery is not equitably spread across the UK. So Missing out on education, yes, it will affect some groups, but those who are the most vulnerable, it's going to affect them even further. So when we're considering our teachers, we need to think about, well, what is the home situation for that BAME colleague? What are their underlying issues that they may have? And what's the level of risk that they're placing themselves in by being in school? we need to consider what their home situation would have been like. So how much work are they able to do from home? Did they have everything that they needed in order to do from home? And how would they have been able to progress themselves and keep themselves sociable, etc.? So some of these are considerations that you'd make for all teachers and all educators, and I hope that all leaders are making that for their staff. When it comes to the students, it is a consideration of, again, what is your living situation? What is your living condition? How much access do you have to online learning? How much do you feel like you've fallen behind? How much work have you been able to get done within the household? Are you the main carer for your siblings? Or do you have or do you have to provide some additional support to grandparents, to aunties, to all of your extended family? What sort of space have you got in order for you to be working within? So I think those are the things I'd want teachers, educators, leaders to be focused on when their students return in terms of their BAME colleagues. And I'd extend it even further Mm -hmm. to say all of their vulnerable groups.
1: Most of my students, I think almost 80 percent of them are from BAME backgrounds and yeah. Um, when I do speak to them, what's really fascinating is, is that first of all, education is a big concern for them too. And then having space to do their work um, yeah. is, is, is a challenge um, because often equipment is shared and of course, um, spaces are shared. So that, that might impact when work can happen and they can sometimes only work late at night or early in the morning. So it, it's really thinking in a mindful way how much work can manage and digest as well.
0: Yeah, and it becomes even simple things like sometimes you feel jealous of those people who have time to read and study because they won't have the space to just sit and read and or to get on with studies because that space or that equipment that they need in order to access it just isn't available to them. And then that goes on to affect your long term or your medium term chances of applying for the next promotion.
1: One of my students is doing a study, which I find fascinating, where she's looking mm. at um, different ethnicities and also um, religious groups with different demands on on children yeah. after school as well. So they can't always do their homework because they have chores to do and different things that they need to unpack, um, which we don't always realise happens. And so mm. maybe just being more mindful of that as well.
0: Absolutely. And I suppose for those groups, it is being mindful of, What would be that experience that that child has gone through? What would be the experience that that teacher has gone through or that teaching assistant, that person? What are the additional responsibilities that they've had to undertake? And, what has been the impact of simply being in lockdown because at the end of the day we're all sociable creatures and therefore when we have some of these impacts that suddenly restrict us from doing anything and if we absorb a lot of the information that we get through the media that is available to us it can bring about lots of anxieties and panic how are they responding to that anxiety and panic there shouldn't be an assumption of resilience
1: Absolutely. So what support do you feel schools and educational context can make to help help colleagues?
0: I'm an advocate for supervision. I think in the role that we do as educators, it's not acknowledged. It's not acknowledged enough how much trauma we absorb for others and from others. And therefore, I think coaching, mentoring, Supervision are all really important things for us to just have so, an outlet where we can share our ideas, share our feelings, be in a safe space where we can have a conversation and get things aligned in our heads so that we're able to process yeah. the experience that we've been through. Because a really large assumption is being made that all teachers are going to go back and they'll be, have enough heads room and headspace to give supervision to our students. And our pupils, it's being assumed that all senior leaders are going to have the headspace to give supervision to teachers, to students, to parents in some cases, and to families and to just get back on with the job without any real secure provision for who is going to be the person to take care of the carer.
1: And it's such an important point to make, the importance of then also additional support for those who lead and those who are caring and and thinking through. Now, I know Baymed does does look at mentoring and coaching, but Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is we need more of that and we need to perhaps also support it in some way as well.
0: Yeah, and I think we need to spot those people who don't know how to ask for support. If we were to talk about careers, there'd be lots of people who'd come and say, I need a mentor. I want to do this with my career and therefore I need a mentor. But if you were to ask people about their anxieties, you're less likely to find people, especially with the stigmas that still exist and persist in the beam communities, you're less likely to find people who will come and say, actually, I did not do well during this period of COVID and this period of lockdown. I need help with that.
1: And, And that's really the first step is that first acknowledgement of where we are so that we can move things on. Really important for us to, to perhaps also revisit this. I'm, I'm hoping to as well on the 17th of October to revisit Mm. the importance of coaching and mentoring post lockdown. Yeah. Um, in, in, in one of the BRR events we are hoping to lead. But, um, I can't stress that enough. I I completely agree with you on that one. Now I want to take it a little bit further. Um, let's say we are now able to function in our new normal. I'm thinking about teacher education and development. Uh, what considerations do you think we should make? Looking ahead to then support BAME colleagues more effectively, and also be more mindful and to to think about how we work well as a learning community.
0: So, alongside Mm -hmm. having to deal with all the issues of lockdown and COVID and being at higher risk and having that acknowledged, BAME colleagues would have also had that whole experience of people coming to them about Black Lives Matters because George Floyd coincidentally happened at that point of time, and that became another a second focal point. For mm-hmm. BAME colleagues, when people started looking, thinking, and talking a lot about inequity within our systems, and in doing that, BAME colleagues would have had to relive, go through, discuss some of the traumas that they would have had as per racism, as per discriminatory practice, mm-hmm. as per institutional racism, etc. Things and gone through things in their experience. So, having had to deal with those two very in-depth, challenging areas as well as the economic fallout that is coming as a result of COVID and all decisions that were made earlier on the year and are being made later on in the year. I think helping them to process all of that would be really important. So first thing is about recruitment. With the uncertainty that exists within the current job market, I would say that the recruitment, most graduates that are coming out, this is a great opportunity for us to have a real high recruitment drive about why teaching is a great career, especially for BAME colleagues, um, bringing them into training, teacher training, and Mm -hmm. supporting them in being a part of teacher training, encouraging them in their placements and making sure that all of that works really well. So I'd say first things first, let's talk about bringing them into teacher training. Secondly, it's about what are we training them for? So there needs to be some change in teacher training as well as in leadership training that looks more closely at the Black, Asian and minority experience in education and how institutions can change in order to make them education experience more inclusive. So if you're in teacher education and development, I would implore you to really look at the curriculum that you're teaching in ITT, because as teachers and as teacher trainers, you should not just be teaching about the subject area and matter that the person is going to be imparting onto young people. It's also about the social development and inequities that exist so that they have a good understanding of where, their students or the experiences some of their students may be having, as well as bringing change so that we move towards being an anti-racist, anti-sexist, and more equitable society as a whole. And how do we use our experiences in teaching in order to make that happen? And that starts from the teacher training, because there's no point saying that we want to have inclusive schools when you spend one day probably talking about racism one and sexism and all discrimination so you do diversity and inclusion in one session you do send in one session and then you say right now go forth and be inclusive it just doesn't happen like that there has to be better understanding mm-hmm. so making training in itself when we bring those teachers in and we do that recruitment making that training far more relevant to our modern society
1: absolutely and i think it links well um, links to then the teacher standards, for example, mm-hmm. teacher yeah. standard five talking about meeting the needs of the students yeah. and the children they teach. But I think it's also about meeting the needs of the students we are developing to become teachers and, and also understanding a, the issues around, um, racism and gender discrimination if you like and then uh, also looking at how we as educators meet the needs of the people in front of us um because what i found as teacher educator is is that my students have different needs as well and they they also want to understand the children in front of them better um and with that i need to give them more to work with to enable them to be equitable in the classroom.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I think we need to have more conversations about that curriculum and what that could look like and how we Mm -hmm. can develop that and enrich it, so that every child can can matter and every person we develop can matter as well. I don't think that we have had enough conversations about that issue yet.
0: Because nobody comes into teaching to deliberately make children have poor experiences. But in examining and focusing on the experiences that our students are going to have, we have to pay far more attention to the experiences that the person right beside you, your peers, your colleagues, that they are mm-hmm. going to have. And looking at how we change that inequity for the adults that work within education, as well as for the students that are going to have the experience of education. What else in teacher de- education? Find far more equitable systems so that we're looking at what a leader looks like. And we have different mm-hmm. perspectives on leadership and we have different appearances of leadership so that we don't become stuck in this mold of to be a leader, you need to be really assertive and you have to need to be a great decision maker and you can't be empathetic and you can't be Oh, all those sort of soft skills. You can't be that. You have to be really decisive and you have to be ruthless. All those perceptions don't need to be there. We can look at, or oh, you don't have to speak Oh, the one I got. You don't have to speak in a certain way, in a certain manner in order to be a leader. We need to have different perspectives on leadership where we appreciate the cultures and the variances in cultures, because again, we're part of a diverse society and our global perspectives need to be much wider.
1: It's such an important point to make. I'm I'm sort of just thinking about um uh I um it's Aisha Small's book, Unexpected mm. Leader, where she has interviewed different colleagues from different backgrounds and one of the colleagues said her perspective of a leader is a, a white man in a white suit. And um yeah. I'm, like I've said, I'm very lucky. I teach on the MF leadership and education, and 80% of my students are from VAME background and phenomenal people to work with. Hmm. But they don't always have the stereotypical, um, charismatic traits that, that we would see in, in, um, yes. I would say, west, western perspectives on leadership, but, they have uh-huh. influence and they are subtle and they can negotiate and they do all sorts of different things. And I think it's about cel- celebrating our diversity and how it can yeah. really make such a difference um, in, in what we can offer in our schools for the children, but also in a wider community. So, it, but it's about recognising it. And I think so often we fall back on the stereotype of charisma, don't we?
0: Yeah. And that takes away from people's authenticity. Because you spend a lot of time trying to be this extrovert, charismatic leader when sometimes in your heart, you being an introvert actually allows you to think through people's perspectives and be a much better decision maker as a result of it. But that's not what's publicly celebrated. It's those extroverts who are able to go and say something large and bring everybody else along and be really charismatic. There's no real appreciation for the quiet thinker. So I think even within that, and looking at cultural perspectives that we value. So there's interesting conversation that happens about dialect and accents, and whether that is an indicator (laughs) of intelligence and leadership. Until we can get beyond that, so that we know that if you're Northern, if you're African, if you're Caribbean, if you're Asian, it really doesn't matter. What matters is the substance of the leadership that you're putting in front of everyone. And Incorporating that into our education and development would be really substantive and help a lot of leaders in the future.
1: That's such a good point to, to conclude this, this question on. Thank you so much, Alana. That's really great. Um, I can't, can't agree more. And, um, I was wondering just to wrap up the session and the conversation, is there anything else that you want to share with us in regards to education? And of course, your, your really broad perspective on that.
0: I think the most important thing I would want everyone to really be aware of is this is not a single person, single issue platform. This is something that everyone needs to be involved in and discussing. So I want and I'm very proactive in saying that I would love all my white colleagues to be talking about race and the experience of race in education just as much as my BAME colleagues I would want men to be talking about, well, what's the equity or it, what's the equitable way for us to structure education for females to be able to progress just as fast as they do, or for men to have more access in primary level education in early years, just as much as women. I would like for that to be far more of an open conversation, but that conversation won't happen unless we have listeners and unless we have those people who are willing to step up and be brave enough to express their point of view, and to hear the point of view of others, and come with an open mind to have that. Because there's so much we can do in education. We banded together in zero time flat to put together remote learning and make sure that students could be access learning from home. And I mean in zero time flat, that was available for all students, (laughs) whether in paper form, whether online, We talked about what ideas we needed to put together and we made it happen. The same with reopening, we're able to put that together so that we can have our schools as safe as possible. Why is it that we can't band together in the same way when it comes to discussing variable levels of risk for different colleagues? So if you have colleagues who are concerned, it shouldn't just be BAME colleagues bringing that to the fore. I'd want white colleagues to bring that to the fore as well. And the same when it comes to talking about what we're doing in our teacher education and development, it should not just be left to BAME colleagues to point out the disparities in diversity that occur, whether it comes from an Mm all-white panel or all-male panel, any of those things, or not paying any regard at all to disability or intersectionality across those. It shouldn't just be left to those. It's for all of us to band together listen to each other and sort of hash it out and get the action going because now is not the time for us to be caught up in the words too much now is the time for us to make the actions for change.
1: I think sometimes it just takes a small action you just need to ask the right question and you need to just raise the issue Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you have to stand on the stage and say loads of things it's just about being supportive and noticing things and that makes all the difference.
0: Because there's a lot of gravitas Brilliant. in a quiet word.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alana. I really appreciated, it. And I know you're very busy. Thank you for giving up your time. And I, I wish you all the very best with opening your school again.
0: Thank you very much, Lizana, for having me on. You're keep fine. checking on the Beam Ed website because there's lots of resources there. And every program that we come up with, whether it's mentoring, whether it's training, it all goes on there. So keep and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Beera podcast. For the latest news on BiRA events and activities, visit www.beera.ac.uk. Do you know someone whose research deserves recognition? The 2020 Public Engagement and Impact Award is now open for applications. Visit www.beera.ac.uk forward slash awards.